And we go a little something like this. Hit it. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Dina. You can now find us in the new and noteworthy section of iTunes under podcast. We fancy y'all. And now here's your host, Dina Babel. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Dina. Um, I am back and we have had such a great past two episodes. I swear my blood gets going when I get in the studio and I find so many, so many beautiful, awesome people out there that are doing God's work and their purpose out there. And, you know, obviously it all comes from some sort of trauma. A lot of times the one thing we don't want to look at is the one of the the main thing that we end up really shining in. So um, we have a really cool guest, Melissa Roshan. She goes by Melro. We're going to talk to her. Um, so let's get into the specifics real quick. My name is Dina Babel. I'm an author, motivational speaker, life coach, medical expert, mother, and wife. You can find our podcast on iTunes under Keeping It Real with Dina. My book, The Fatherless Daughter Project, Understanding Our Losses and Reclaiming Our Lives, came out in June. Get to the store. Get it done, honey. Go get it. We're actually doing really good with the book. Um, We're getting emails every day. People are sharing their stories. And this is the book that I wish I had had. So I wrote what I needed, and um, it's so cool to see it touching so many lives. I can't even tell you how good that makes me feel. I promise you I would talk to someone on the side of the street about this if I needed to. Um, Coming up, I have an online course, How to Take the Dysfunction Learned in Childhood Out of Your Adult Relationships in Order to Get the Love You Were Meant to Receive. And with that last podcast, I'm thinking I need to do one on self-talk. Fatherless Daughter Masterclass Project 1. We're going to have Project 2, Project 2 Infinity. But the first ever inaugural one is October 14th through 16th in Atlanta. If you want to come check this out, just go to my website or fatherlessdaughterproject.com. There's a little form you can fill out, and we'll send you the info. Um, You know, I want to share a story. Um, First, let me welcome you, Melro. Thank you for coming back. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. Good. I want to share this story with you because I know we're going to get into the fatherless issues with you on this episode. So when you start doing all this work, you know, and you're busy planning retreats and talks and speeches and all the things that go down, right? I kind of find myself, which is why I do these podcasts and do things to get other people to come in and share their story, is you start or I start longing to get centered you know, all the time. And so who is it that I can minister to? Who can I talk to? You know, I need, I kind of put out there in the universe, I need to do some stuff. I need to help some people, right? So um, this week I was going through that. And of course, some great things came up that I could help people with. But one particular thing happened. I went into this um, hotel down from where the Love and Light Institute, where we're doing the actual um, retreat. And I went to go get a block of rooms. And there was a really cool little guy in there. And he had this red jacket on, had his hair slicked back, older gentleman. And he's like, hey, baby, how you doing? You know, we're in the South. So we start talking. I start telling him I need the rooms. And we're talking for a little bit. And he goes, so what do you need it for? And I said, well, I'm doing the fatherless daughter retreat. And he started crying. And this guy's like probably 70 years old, concierge. And I was like, you know, this busy hotel. And I'm like, and he goes, I got to tell you, you know, I caused that. He said, I left my two children after Vietnam. I caused a lot of problems. 
you know, with my family. And he's Aww. he's crying. And so I'm like, so tell me where you're at today, because obviously he's at work. And he starts telling me how he just went to his son and said, OK, I want to start a relationship back. And it, his son was like, OK, we started. And he said, now, my daughter I had to do some work. You know, I have to apologize. And we start getting into all this part of the story. And I really start, you know, kind of. I don't want to say ministering. I'm not a minister. But, you know, I start really talking to him about what I know and what he can do with his daughter and, you know, praising him for getting back, you know, having the strength to just go knock back on that door and saying, you know, those three beautiful words. I'm sorry. That man was trying to walk me out to my car, honey. He was ready to talk. I'm like, he's going to do all the recruiting for this thing. I don't even have to do it. But. When you get in, when you hear something like that, and you know, we all have these moments, but God, it was a great moment. You know, I, I got sat in my car and I thought that meant the world to me because I feel like, mm. you know, I help one dad, right? I just talked to someone and said how much she needs you and how important you are to her life. And God, it felt mm. really, really good. So, so, do you, so do you feel like from that experience that the universe, God, was, I mean, that, that that was completely orchestrated yeah. for you and for him? I do. And, you know, it's so I have a I have definitely intuition. And I was when I sat down with him, I knew immediately when I walked in, like, this is my guy. Not to talk about daddyless issues, but I knew like there was something that drew me to him. And before I came out and said, this is the fatherless daughter retreat, I knew intuitively I'm like, this is going to rock him. And I don't know why. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I mean, someone called me one time the fatherless daughter whisperer, and it's true. It's like, it's you know, when it's your calling, it's your calling. You know, it just is what it is. But I like to find whatever situation I can to talk to and help out. And obviously, I could talk forever about this. So tell me, um, Melro, I know we talked a lot about your foster care experience you know, you having your child, your son at 16 years old and eventually having a daughter. Um, tell me a couple of things. When was the next time you saw your birth mother? Sure, sure. Um, and then also I, I jotted down a question uh, because you you ask these amazing questions <laughs> Thank um, you. that really, really in, inspire people to just think and stretch. And so I wanted to answer that question from last week that I had a week to think about. But um, to answer your question about my mother, I made as part of my healing journey when I got up out of the hospital bed figuratively and physically, Mm -hmm. I mentioned that I had to forgive. Um, And so one one of the things I had to do was find my mother and my father and make the choice to go back and have two separate conversations with them. One being with mom, I forgive you for not being in my life because I know that it wasn't your fault and I love you. And uh, father, same thing, but also um, that I forgave him for violating my mother. I met her in 2012. I'm sorry, I met her in 2013. And I also connected with my father that same year. they have they had not spoken to one another since the incident and uh, but she, we had did she know who pardoned. he was she knew who he was yes okay yes. he lived right across the street from her 
in the foster care. Okay. Uh, when she was in foster care. Mm-hmm. God, and, that's got to have uh, been difficult it, for her. It was very him. difficult for her. She's actually a lesbian now uh-huh. um, because of the trauma yeah. that she's gone through um, with men. But it was a very powerful conversation that I had with both of them. Um, haven't spoken to my mother since, as she's still on drugs, unfortunately. And I mentioned last week that part of the path that we have to be on in reference to not being abusers of ourselves is removing toxic people, no matter who they are. Now, while my mother, it's not her fault necessarily that she is on drugs because life happened to her. She did have the opportunity to make a different choice. Um, and because she has not, it just wasn't, it wasn't a healthy relationship. Okay. And um, with my father, uh, he was actually tragically killed in 2015 because he um, picked up a bottle of Crown Royal, mm-hmm. drank it, got drunk, um, killed himself and two nuns in a vehicular accident. Mm-hmm. So, but the question that you asked me last week, you said, how were your relationships considering that you came from a broken, broken yeah. childhood? And I really, I thought that's a really good question because sometimes we don't take inventory of our relationships. We may take inventory of who people are to us. But maybe we don't take inventory of who we are to them. And I, so thank you for stretching me again. My relationships after I came out of the foster care system, excluding my son, were incredibly broken. Either I was attracting men that were abusive, mm-hmm. were controlling, um, or just were not healthy. And I struggled to be, I struggled to, with trust. I struggled with allowing people in. And also there was um, a bit of being just naive as well and uh, not knowing who was a safe person. And and well, then uh, I mean, you sending didn't, a witness. You didn't have a playbook. I mean, I had no you, yeah, you had to put it together by yourself. Of course, you're trying to figure that out. I mean, so my relationships, they just continue to stay broken, hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And though I wasn't actually, you know, abusing others, I wasn't emotionally always present or available for them. If I could have a redo with some of those relationships, I certainly would. And luckily, I've had friends that have been my friends since I was 17, and they've been patient with me and understanding of my journey. And so now, with that that real work that just happens every day, because I mentioned, I think, on the first show that none of us has never fully arrived. We're not always going to have it together, especially when you've gone through trauma. It's a it's a healing journey that just goes on and on and on until you're until you leave this earth. But now I can say that my relationships are very, very healthy. I've identified who are safe people. I've also identified how to be safe. And part of that journey of, like, getting out of that hospital bed was just learning how to live again and saying, okay, no, Mel, these are the things I say to myself. That's not healthy, that type of talk. No, Mel, (laughs) being addicted to non-prescription Xanax, that's not healthy. No, Mel, you can't starve yourself. That's not healthy. Yes, Mel, you've got to go to therapy. No, Mel, that person is toxic. So once I began to just relearn how to live, I began to be better in identifying um, 
what relationships were healthy and then again how to be a healthy person in those relationships and learning boundaries and all of the things skill sets that I probably should have learned as a child I was learning those things at 31 32 and 33 and I'm still learning. Yeah, I mean, so. well, well, you know, you, there's a mother and father for a reason. And yeah. a lot of the stuff that we talk about, uh, you know, I was thinking when you were talking before, we talk about this thing called age matching in the book. And it's the age you were when you suffered a trauma or did something the same as your parents did. So I'm sure for you, um, when you were 16 and you got pregnant, even though it wasn't because of rape, you probably felt like, oh, my God, here I am. I'm, you know, I'm heading down the same path. What's going on? I have no control here. Right. And mm-hmm. some people can get control. And then some people, you know, maybe aren't strong enough. And our generation, you know, is different than your mother's generation. That generation was taught to keep everything quiet. You know, our generation is like Dr. Phil and we're putting everything everywhere and, you know, self-help 24-7. And you can't really fault people, you know, not that you are, but I even have to deal with this myself. Mm-hmm. People can only do what they know and what's going on in their environment. And back then, it wasn't really like, oh, let's all, you know, get around her and hug. It's like, okay, dust yourself off and get out there and go. So we're in a really good spot that, you know, in our lives that we can even do shows like this and talk about things and and how it's affecting us. And just think about the generations to come, you know, and, and how we're going to go here. But... I talk a lot about my book about the type of men you meet, and the psyche is a very, very creative thing, right? So what we do is we go out, and our psyche goes, okay, let's go find someone that is abusive, and let's see if you're going to figure it out, right? And so you get out there, and you say, oh, God, this doesn't feel good. This isn't what I wanted. Do you learn the lesson then? Or does the psyche go, let me throw something else, but let's put him with black hair versus blonde or let's make him not an alcoholic, but he's a workaholic. Right. So, Mm -hmm. you know, how is that affecting me? And you have to really do a lot of self inventory and sit still, which you have done a lot of that. I've done a lot of it. And you got to sit down and go, okay, what is it that I really want how do I want to feel? How do I want to make this per- this person to make me feel? And mm-hmm. not what am I looking for, but who am I for that person? You know, do I have boundaries? Am I a good partner? You know, what am I giving to the situation, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really interesting that you've been such a survivor through all this. And, you know, the reason why you're teaching and the reason why you've gotten to this point is because you've learned so much. And as you learn, you know, and obviously we're both still growing and we're learning things, but as you go through this, you're able to to become, you know, a spokeswoman. I know that you just became the National Spokeswoman for Children's Rights. I mean, yeah. what an amazing, amazing thing. Um, tell you. me a little bit about that. Well, Thank you for asking about that. There is something really profound that happened um, at the beginning of the year. And this is a completely true story. Children's rights can also vouch for this uh, because I had to tell them this after the fact. But I made the choice to create a vision board. And a vision board is basically 
huge piece of cardboard paper, construction paper, and you just glue on images of um, mm-hmm. things that, that you want to accomplish in your life, your dreams and goals. And one of my goals um, was to meet Oprah, to buy a new Kia car, uh, was to visit Costa Rica. But also I, I thought, well, what's my purpose? Well, my purpose is to fight for abuse and, ne- and neglected children and to really dive into this advocacy work. So I just Googled advocacy work, child abuse, survivor, and the words children's rights popped up in this logo. So I thought, oh, okay, that's perfect. So I, I printed out that image and taped it on my vision board and saw, saw this image every day. Mm-hmm. And then in March, a, the, the organization Children's Rights, they contacted um, someone over at, on my team and said, hey, you know, we see the work that this young woman, this very young woman, <laughs> is doing. <laughs> And uh, we'd like to have a conversation with her. And I was blown away because I said, wow, look at that. The power of manifestation, right? Oh, girl. Of man- yeah. of manifest- manifesting your dreams. I said that I was going to make a vision board. I did the vision board and I was looking at it and believing it. And then it just, it's not a magical thing. I just feel like it just. It's, it's a, a bad thing. It is. It's the law of attraction. I mean, Last good old okra time. girl. That I remember back in the day, she started talking about vision boards. And my husband used to laugh when I did a vision board. And at the beginning of every year, I'd get my paper, you know, my big poster board out and I'd yes. cut up everything. And he would sit around and look at me like, you are crazy. Well, <laughs> let me tell you something. Every time something happens, and I've had so many of these situations, I take him right into my office, and I'm like, look, see, here you go. Here you go. Um, So it's super, super cool. I'm glad you shared that. But what an honor. What an honor. So we had the conversation, and um, we just came to the conclusion after several conversations and then doing some work for them for their Foster Truth campaign, which is where they interviewed about 30 former foster children and had us all tell our stories that it would be a great fit if I could take my my work that I had done with Buick because I was a spokesmodel for Buick mm-hmm. but but transfer that into my advocacy work and so I, I willingly became their their spokeswoman and it's it's been an amazing journey. Girl, I love that. um, I love that. Yeah, their organization is out of New York, and it's designed to protect abused and neglected children. Unfortunately, five small children die every single day in our country from child abuse. Mm. And so on the moments that I get tired and feel like, eh, I don't want to do this. I just want to go back to modeling. That statistic keeps me going. You know, that's so powerful. I. I have always had this vision, um, you know, I always read autobiographies and memoirs and, you know, I'll watch Sunday, CBS Sunday this morning. I mean, I'm a 46-year-old and like a 96-year-old's body and I'm always reading all this stuff and got, although I throw in some reality TV, but um, yeah. <laughs> I um, have always followed that and thought, how about if I started the Fatherless Starter Project, and it was in every city and state. So instead of like Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, you yeah. like go in and you go through the book as a guide, because if you are one, you can teach one. 
right? So if you if you're doing this work and then it gets to you know every high school, every college, every elementary school, and we start showing that you know obviously I am not anti male. I love men, but we start showing how important fathers are. I mean, in a girl's life, mothers are important. I mean, we're all important, but there is a reason that God made it this way. And look, I'm, you know, all about people, lesbian, gay, everything. Love is love. I'm all pro everything. But I want to make sure people understand that there's certain things you can get, you know, um, from that other person in your life. And they teach you protection and they teach you. You know, that they're going to take care of you financially. They they teach you how you're going to be treated by how they treat your mother. They, Correct. you know, and there's so many things that both parents bring into your family. Um, so I'm so interested in this and I'm so happy that you were able to get some sort of closure between meeting your father and you're, you know, going back to your mother, because I think a lot of times if you cannot go back, you mm-hmm. get stuck. You know, I mm-hmm. couldn't go back to my dad. He was no longer here. But I could mm. go back to family members or, you know, try to go find friends or whoever and put the pieces back together. And Well, then I have a question for you. Yeah. So I spoke at a church once and I was talking about this journey of going back and meeting my parents. And one one um, one person that was uh, in the audience or in the congregation, they came up to me after I spoke, and they said, "Well, I'm happy for you, but I didn't get the opportunity to go back and meet my father. What would you say to me?" And I'm just curious. I'll share what my answer was. Okay. But what would what is your answer to your listeners if you don't have that the luxury of being able to go back? You know, I didn't, and that's hard. And look, my ego was so intertwined in that, you know, because I didn't want to reach out to my dad's family because, you know, I'm doing good in school. You know, I made it to college. I only wanted to show like, hey, I made it. So for me to say, you know what, I'm still this vulnerable, broken girl, I'd have to go almost like, you know, down the drain and go, oh, my God, I'm losing myself again. I have to throw, you know, pull this all back up. But I was so exhausted that I think if you don't have the chance, you figure out the best way to piecemeal back together what you can. You know, whether it is you find another mentor and you find uh, older gentleman, a best friend, a boss, a female friend, whoever, that you can say, what was it, you know, what were the things your father taught you? What were the things, you know, these are the things I think these and maybe an older gentleman, maybe in your father's age or something like that could say, you know, and kind of fill that void. Because I think anybody can show up and fill that void. I mean, for me, it was my dad's brother, but we were not close until my later 20s. So I spent a lot of years moping around and confused and upset because I didn't want this man to see vulnerabilities because I didn't even know how to be vulnerable in front of a man, you know, and I was it was odd and awkward and all that. But I was so bound and determined to get rid of the anger that I was like, I'm just going to cut myself wide open and I'm just going to be is vulnerable and be a sponge and just try to, even if I have to chase this man down, that's what I'm going to do. 
And I'm not saying everybody can go back to that man, but what I am saying, and a lot of people email me, Melro, and they're like, if you write something, they go, well, I never had that chance, or I don't have that, or what about this, or what about me? And, and you know, I get that, and I get that anger. But when you're ready, and that's really, really important, when you're ready, because everybody's different, and there should be no judgment around that. But when mm-hmm. you are ready, the right people show up. It may not be him in the flesh, but the right people will show up. It could be a preacher. It could be... You know, Melro, it could be whoever that that comes in your lane and starts filling that gap because it's really just love. So how do you feel that love? Absolutely. I I love your answer. I really, really do. Um, Thank you. I really do. And I'm sure that your listeners, they can they they're probably saying, oh, I, I love that answer, too. I never really thought about that. Um, and you said something else in reference to just kind of what, what what you were alluding to, or at least what I received is that, okay, you didn't have the opportunity to meet your father, mm-hmm. but you're, let's identify that's lack. That's a lack. And, and right there saying that, well, I didn't get this opportunity. Gosh, I know that's hurtful. But if we focus on the lack, it just becomes larger and larger and bitterness just builds up in our hearts. Yeah. So what I told the person who came up to me after church is try to focus on who you have left, which is yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you can focus on your healing and loving yourself, then God will put the right people in your life that'll just replenish everything that you feel like you, you've not had. And my heart went out to them because I had been that person yeah. for a long, long, long time, except I had 23 different sort of kind of moms and dads Mm -hmm. that didn't stay Mm -hmm. and then met my biological parents and then there could be no relationship there. But if I focused on the 23 moms and dads that weren't there for me and focused on the fact that lost mom and dad, even though I met them, that again, those thoughts just become larger and larger and it becomes a setback. So what I say is, you know, I am loved. I love myself. I'm surrounded by great people. I am great. God loves me, and all is well. And 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 it really, literally, just saying those affirmations to myself, it just keeps me. Um, it keeps me up. Keeps me up uh, out of that foster, or excuse me, uh, out of that hospital bed. Mm-hmm. And it also begins with the whole law of attraction thing, which I believe that that would be a whole nother show. Yeah. You probably need to interview someone who's a master on it. But I just feel like saying those positive affirmations it is. starts to attract those great things. That- and when you're not positive, it's hard to say them because you're like bullshit, you know, in this in your head. But you can get there. But I'll tell you, the other thing I would say to that girl is. You can be that parent for yourself. So you could kind of look at yourself like two different people, right? So the little girl, you were left at, you know, six years old is when you felt the most traumatized, right? And here you are in your 30s or 40s. You can say, what did that little six-year-old need that I can go back and help her with, right? Did she not feel loved? Did she not feel cherished? How can I feel cherished now? How can I fill in that gap? And it's confusing because you don't want to keep saving yourself. But look, you can. I mean, that's what we do all the time, right? That's beautiful. Thank you. I think if people understood that you can save yourself, um, then they would feel less less lost. And they they wouldn't 
still suicidal or that they wanted to give up, that you can save yourself. Everything that you need is tucked inside of you. People used to say that to me in 2011 when I was suicidal and very, very broken. And I thought, well, if everything is tucked inside of me, then why am I not able to tap into it? It's because I wasn't ready. It's because the trauma was so great that the tools, the strength, the self-love, the perseverance, those were all kind of covered up Mm -hmm. because of that trauma. When I started to uncover and forgive and heal that's when I was like, oh, I didn't even know I had that tool in my toolbox. Oh, yeah, girl. I, I mean, I yeah, you got some shiny tools in there. I want to tell you, Melro, I could talk to you forever, and I'm so glad you're going to come be part of the retreat because I love doing this work. I think you did such a great job. People always start when we do these three-part episodes. Like, they get started, and they're like, even me. I'm like, okay, what are we doing? And then you get going, and you're like, oh, God, this is good. But let me tell you, when you hear this back, you're going to be like, man, I rocked it. I was on fire. <laughs> oh, God. Thank you. You I'm will. I'm so grateful that you've done, you have this show. And thank you so very much for the opportunity. And you have inspired me and helped me tremendously. And I really appreciate it. Thank you, Melro. So let me, before we end, let me go to the real boss of the week. Bandit calls to be the boss. I'm going to give it to my girl Gabrielle Bernstein because she taught me, even though I was already on this journey, she taught me that you can love yourself with all your flaws. She lives her life very large, and she is a spiritual guru, a really good friend, and God, a beacon of light. If you don't know who Gabrielle Bernstein is, go check her out. Become a spirit junkie. Um, It saved my life in a lot of ways. So thanks so much, Melro, for coming and being on the show. Well, not coming. We did it over the phone. But thank you so, so much. Um, And I will talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Come on.